we would do a lot of jail clients and we'd go to the jail and this one judge would just like give our clients these sentences so they could go home. But really it was setting them up for failure because you keep cleaning yeah. out and going home. And in Georgia, we have like this three strikes rule where after the third time, you're going to jail and you're going to jail for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm fighting this system that I know isn't helping the people that I'm fighting for. And it's yeah. like, I feel like I'm part of the problem. Today, I'd like to welcome our guest, Latrice Latin-Alexander. Welcome, Latrice. Latrice is coming to us from Atlanta, Georgia today. And upon meeting Latrice and hearing her story, she has such a wealth and richness of experience of things that I feel will really resonate for a lot of people. And she's had some really adverse life experiences and have overcome some real adversities that I feel that we could all you know, reflect and learn on and how she navigated and chewed through these things in her life. And one of the most powerful things, you know, in this conversation with Latrice is is she, you know, brings forward this power of pause. We're in the midst of life's chaotic storms and the things that are crashing down upon us and just really what that power of pause brings to us and knowing that we are all we need and we are all we uh, ever need at any given moment, if we take the time to just pause, learn how to float, as she says, and just really learn how to be in the moment and not give into the fear and learn how to control everything. And when we are able to release that, we can really gain some more clarity through these chaotic storms that we all navigate. So thank you for coming today, Latrice, and speaking with us. And I'm so excited for everyone to hear your story. How do you feel, Latrice? I feel good. The more I find out about Latrice Trina, the more I'm like, oh my God, and she does this and she does that. <laughs> and I, I look at it all and I think, you know, it probably comes from somewhere, mm-hmm. right? There's something driving her. She's she's not just, okay, she's doing work as a lawyer today, but as soon as she has a free moment, she's taking on something usually driven by like a passion project even the areas of law that she's getting into now and, and really starting to build her practice on are driven by her passion, right? And, and interest in humanity. So, you know, I, I would love to just to get to know you, Latrice, a lot better today and and share you, you know, your awesomeness <laughs> to all these other people. I think it's going to really, really help if you don't mind. No, I don't. I have a really interesting story. I mean, it's not interesting to me, of course, because I lived it, right? I grew up with my grandmother and... She was in this welfare to work program where they would train women who were on welfare to work in different jobs. And the job just happened to be the DA's office, right? So my grandmother was the secretary to the DA for like 30 years. So when I grew up, I had this passion for law. I love to read books and it was like, okay, back then it was like, are you going to be a lawyer or are you going to be a doctor? I didn't like blood. So I was like, lawyer it is, you know? My whole family was like, you love to argue, you love to read, you should be a lawyer, you should be a lawyer. So it was put in me a lot when I was younger. And so my grandmother used to work at the DA, they'd watch Matlock. So I was like, I'm going to be a criminal lawyer, right? (laughs) That was my thought. So my whole journey from like taught to high school is always, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a lawyer. And so when I got to high school, 
I realized no one else in my family was a lawyer. No one had even went to college. No one even knew how to become a lawyer. So I'm in college and I asked my professor, I said, what do you do to become a lawyer? You know, and he's like, uh, well, you got to take the LSAT and apply to schools and do this. And I was like, oh, okay. So at the time I had got pregnant, like my senior year of college. So I had my son, it was just me. I'm going to school at night, working at Blue Cross Blue Shield, answering phones during the day, working at like a clothing store, wet seal on the weekend, taking care of my son. And I'm like, oh damn, I gotta apply to become a lawyer. Okay. So I put in my applications for a couple of schools and then he's like, well, you need to take this LSAT test. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, well, it's the test that you have to take to become a lawyer. So literally the test was coming up like that weekend. So I get up at five o'clock in the morning, like I'm reading a couple of books, like, okay, this is what you do. I think this is what you do. Maybe this. I get up at five o'clock in the morning, drive down to Macon, take the test. So in order to get into school, you need like a 150 average. So I get like a 147, right? Mind you, I never knew what this test was. Okay, you you studied for your LSAT in a matter of days. <laughs> People take months of their life off. I'm like, hey, look, it's a test. I got it, you know? It's a multiple choice. Yeah, let's just do it. So I'm like, damn, I'm like two points off. So I'm like, what do I do? So I go and I take a class for like a month and they kind of tell you how to do the stuff and whatever. So I go back and take it again and I get like a 152 or something. So it averages out to what you need. So I'm yeah. like, okay, well, I have a kid, so I can't go cross country, right? So I only applied. Where were you? Where were you? Here in Georgia. Okay. So I'm like, I can only apply to schools in Georgia because I have a kid, so I can't go too far. And I was like, well, maybe I'll do like a couple of schools just in case. So I think I applied to like a school in Kentucky and maybe like one in California because I had family out there. And so I did my essays. I got into Mercer. I'm like, cool, I'll go there. It's here. It's in Macon. It's not too far. Then we're like, so how do we pay for this? You know? <laughs> They're like student loans, okay. So my mom's like, I don't care, just go. You know, we'll take care of your son. Just go to law school. So I'm like, fine. So I'm in the night program in college, right? So I literally finish school. I graduate from college on Saturday, head to law school on Monday, and I start law school on Monday. It was just like this whole weird thing, and it's just like go do it whatever, this is what you said you're going to do. I get through law school, take the bar, pass it the first time. And it's like, okay, now it's time to practice, you know? So of course I go into criminal law because that's what I thought that I wanted to do. You know, I'm going to be Matlock. This is going to be great. This is what happens. And I become a public defender. I just want to make a point because we learned this before is you don't article in the States or do like an, an articling where you work for a firm when you finish high or you finish your bar exam in Canada, you go work for someone and you figure out kind of where you want to go. No. Here. Like what kind of law you just went, you just, you became a lawyer and you just go straight into practice. Yeah. Right. And That's, sometimes you yeah. can intern during the summer and okay. at our school, they had this uh, minority, it was a minority internship where all the minority kids go and interview to work at big firms. Right. So mind you, there's only 12 of us out of like a class of 200. So out of the 12 of us, one didn't care. 
And then there was one extra guy. So I think they only took like 10. So they chose everybody but me, right? And the one guy who went then decided he didn't want to do it, but it was too late because it's not like I could get in. So I was just like, okay, well, obviously I won't be doing that, you know? And I had planned on working as a PD anyway, so it was like, fine. I already interviewed, got the job. Public defender, is that what that Mm -hmm. is? Yeah. So I loved it. You know, this is what I'm doing. Crime scenes, classic, you know, loving it. And then I get there and we're doing like all the basic little crimes. So like drug stuff, you know, thefts, none of like big sexy stuff, great murders, you know. So I'm just like, okay, this is fun. Okay, this is not fun. Um, you know, and it just kind of, I did it for a while. And I in, I actually quit because I got a client who was mentally ill. He had gotten in trouble so many times that when I was defending him in court, his only option was like 10 years in prison. Like that was the minimum. He had to do it. And I'm like sitting in court, crying, like telling the judge, this isn't fair. You know, he has a mental issue. How can you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And after that, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And so I went to my boss and I was like, look, I can't do this. You know, I'm like the system set up wrong. I'm hurting people, not helping them. That's not what I came here for. And my boss was like, can you just please stay? You know, you're one of the best ones we have. Just take a break. And I was like, no, I got to go do something else. And so I left. Well, what did that feel like? Because that's a huge thing. Because like a lot of people would get locked into, I put all this time and this commitment Mm -hmm. into becoming a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then you're in it. You're in your Matlock dream, Mm -hmm. right? This is like, this is it. You've achieved it. And it's not what you want. And so like Muhammad always does this. this is, I feel like I'm you right now. He's like, you just skipped over that whole piece. Right? I was going like, to go all the way back to high school because I got yeah, even in high school, right? There. Like, but you, yeah, go ahead, Trita. I got something coming. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like that's not any small detail to skip over, right? Like that that shift in career because you you put so much time, energy, focus, money. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole community behind you, and then to shift. Right. So like. How did that, how did that part of that experience go? I'm an innovator. I don't mind changing. I've really always been in the mindset of not staying somewhere that doesn't serve me at the time. And eventually I did go back to doing criminal law on a more private level, but like my peace, my sanity, I have to mentally be able to justify what I'm doing at all costs. So to me, it was such an emotional moment because I know that if I can't give a hundred percent because I'm not all the way there, then I'm not going to stay there. You know, I, I'd much rather move forward, do something else. And I knew I could always come back to it. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. really worried. Like it was a career ending moment. You know, it was just a moment where mentally for me, I had to be okay with what I was doing. And if I couldn't change or shift the system, then I didn't need to be part of the system, you know, because it was yeah. that moment. But it was also a moment of we would do a lot of jail clients and we'd go to the jail. And this one judge would just like give our clients these sentences so they could go home. But really, it was setting them up for failure because you yeah. keep cleaning out and going home. And in Georgia, we have like this three strikes rule where after the third time, you're going to jail and you're going to jail for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm fighting this system that I know isn't helping the people that I'm fighting for. 
And it's yeah. like, I feel like I'm part of the problem. I do know. It, it, it feels I've had that experience within, I've worked within law and then other systems here in Canada. And it's a, for me, it's an ongoing conversation because it feels like you kind of lose, for me, it's like losing pieces of your soul almost. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it, it hurts. It like physically hurts your being. And that's the thing, like, this is, this is one of the things we look at is, is where's our shared humanity in the application of these systems, whether it be law or other systems we, we engage in, right? right? So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it, that's a really big point, because I feel like a lot of us get locked into our jobs mm -hmm. and not think about what it's doing to us as an individual. Yeah. And we don't exist in polarity in in silos those things are, are one one person they're not they're not they're not separate right they're not mutually exclusive you know going back to back to high school you know when you were making these decisions to go to to college um you, you said earlier that nobody in your family had ever done this before yeah. mm -hmm. if nobody had ever been a lawyer and I, I, I get how you, you make the connection and you said it was your mom who was working in the DA's office. And that's kind of where you, the, the start of it comes, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you started. In families, when you're around, you're, you're talking to people all the time. You're looking up to people. Obviously, your mom was, was a person you looked up to. Yeah, my obviously. grandma. It's my grandma. Grandma, your grandma, yeah. Right. Your grandma's somebody you looked up to. Did you look at anybody else or was it just grandma? I mean, I just looked at that one situation that my grandmother was in and it kind of fueled what I wanted to do. And I just knew that that's what I was going to do. I've always been a very driven person. I didn't really realize until I got to law school that there's this whole networking connection thing, you know, that like, oh, this person's father is a lawyer, their grandfather is a lawyer, they already have these connections, they know these people. To me, it was just kind of like, this is what you're going to do, figure out how to do it, and do it. That's it. You know, it's like, I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't know how the law worked. I didn't know the practice of law. I just knew, okay, I'm supposed to be a lawyer. This is how you become a lawyer. So this is what I'm going to do. What was it about whether it was Matlock or what your grandma was doing, what was it specifically? Was there something I remember very distinctly, you know, what I wanted to be was a taxi driver because I loved cars. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you get to sit in the car all day and drive around with people. <laughs> I'm going to be a taxi driver for sure. This is what I want to be. So there was something that drove it, right? There mm -hmm. was something about being a taxi driver that I could connect to. So what was it about being a year in high school? You, you, you might not know all of what's involved in being a lawyer, right? right? By that time. So what was it that actually attracted you about being? Well, my family would always say you love to read. You love to argue. That's what lawyers do. You know, I will argue someone down. That is my thing. Like I am good at that. It's always like, but what about this? But what about this? But what about, you know? So that was really good. I started reading at a young age. My grandmother used to always take us to the library and I would read novels. You know, I'd read stuff I wasn't supposed to be reading in elementary school. I'm in elementary reading my grandmother's romance novels. You know, if there is a book, I'm reading it. I don't care what it is. So I just love to read. And talking, I started talking at nine months. I was arguing with my mother when I was little. So she was like, we know what you're going to do, you know, and it just sucked. Did you ever find that whether it was through some other part of your social network, whether it's friends, family, cousins, who looked at you and said, no, 
you're you're not gonna be was there ever any sort of opposition to your thoughts about what you wanted to be no or was everybody 100 supportive you're gonna do this yeah it was just a thought it was placed in me and it was just like a given it was never like i even looked for other careers or thought of other things and even when i wasn't actively pursuing it like i said i still knew that's what i was gonna do and so when i went to high school and i went to college and when it was time i was kind of like oh what am i supposed to do to do that i knew it was what i was going to do but i had no idea whatsoever what the steps were until i asked one of my professors like how do you become a lawyer <laughs> you know yeah pretty simple question right and then you find out that you know oh yeah you just kind of go write this test that's happening you know this weekend you, obviously you had never taken the test before mm -hmm. You, you walk into that test. Did you talk to others who had gone before you in tests like that? Had you talked to anyone before going into it or you just went there for the first time? I just went and did it. I got a couple of practice books. I read them. I kind of figured out how it went and I just went and did it. I've never been a person back then. I never had people that guided what I did or had people to talk to. It was kind of like, if you're going to do something, you figure it out and you go do it. That's, yeah. you know, so that's how- Do you know what I love about that? Sorry to interrupt, love about that part is your story is that you've heard you kind of say that message in a couple of different ways mm -hmm. is your family, for lack of a better word, I feel like helped instill that kind of vision in you, mm -hmm. right? They helped co-create that vision with you. You know, you had a baby early on and I too, I remember doing my master's with a, a, a toddler, like with a newborn, six weeks old, starting my master's degree thinking, what the heck am I doing? But it's the family, right? The family that stand up and show up in ways that whether it's like I've had friends that had really serious illnesses through acquiring their education, you know, having children is a, is a very challenging time to pursue education mm -hmm. and you know, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think we don't always acknowledge as a society the power of what a really cohesive, connected family can do. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people be like, oh, you're young. You can't do this anymore. Now you've had a baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you no, know, no. It's like, okay, we have a baby. There's another one of us to take care of. Let's move forward. That's how my grandmother was when I got pregnant. She didn't speak to me. And so I had the baby and she's like, you had a baby. Now your future is ruined. You're not going to be able. And I'm like, do you know right. who I am? Like, that's not how this works. When I tell you I was working a nine to five job, I was going to school at night from like six to nine. And I was working on the weekend. Like yeah. I did what needed to be done to get through what I needed to get yeah. through. And it was like, I have my sisters and my mom. So they just take the baby and put him in the, little rocker thing and let him watch videos all day, you know, but it got done. Maybe like a year or two ago, my grandmother was just like, oh my gosh, I never thought you would have made it to where you've made it to. And it really meant a lot because she yes. was so proud that out of everything, like I still did what I said I was going to do no matter what. And I pushed yeah. through and it was like, I said I was going to go to law school. I did it. I said I was going to become a lawyer. I did it. Like everything that I said I was going to do, all these balls that are getting thrown at you, you know, I'm just dodging and weaving, yeah. dodging and weaving, you know, and yeah. I did what I said I was going to do. And at the end, nobody could say anything because it was like, damn, she did it. You know, my grandmother yeah. had seven kids and she worked the job and 
she came from the welfare system that you learn really quickly when you're in that system that when you have a child and you don't have financial stability, it's it's a downward spiral right. for like, let's just face it. That's a, it's a vortex of just a lot of challenges for people. Yeah, right? That's so, just it. That, that's just it, Latrice. You say like, yeah. you're just dodging and weaving and dodging and weaving just the way you say it. But every yeah. single time, and I mean, and this is the point because, you know, when you think about people who, who come from a background where there's like very little opportunity, what, what they'll talk about is how their circumstances prevented them from doing something. You came mm-hmm. out of those same circumstances. Mm-hmm. Why is it that you think you are able to dodge and weave and others sometimes struggle or they get stuck? Why do you think that is? Even when my grandmother was in the projects, my mom was like, we have to get out of here. There's something more for us to do. And she got my grandmother to go buy a house. And it was a little white house. And my mom my mom has always been like, there's more out there. And I think she instilled that in me. And even like when we were younger, she was like in a really bad abusive relationship. And no matter what, it would be like, okay, if she can get through, if we can get through, we can get through, you know? And it's really hard for me when I hear people like, oh, my relationship was so, my childhood was this, my child. Guess what? I had a horrible childhood, you know, abuse, sexual abuse, foster care, moving from here to there, nobody giving a damn about you. But guess what? I'm still doing what I needed to do because at the end of the day, you are your only motivation. You you can't take your circumstances and use those to surround the person that you are. You have to know that whatever happens, it's kind of a me complex. I'm the one who's going to make me get to that next level. So even if I didn't have, you know, the financial support, the mental support, the any support from my family, at -hmm. the end of the day, I'm the one who's responsible for what happens to me. And so I have to make sure that all the other bullshit besides, I got to keep going. And that's what I did, you know? You hit the the nail on it right there is you're not responsible for what happens to you, but you're responsible for how it impacts you and how you show up to the Mm -hmm. world. And it helps you. It helps you grow. It helps you. you, I was having this conversation with someone recently, my partner recently, and we're just talking about when you're going through those experiences, like through such adversity at such a young age, through such pivotal points in your development, you you kind of like learn your, what your values are. Mm-hmm. You learn, you learn what you stand for sometimes, but not always knowing it. You learn, you kind of realize that in reflection after the fact, mm-hmm. right? But you get that. I yeah. got me. If nobody else has me, I have me. Right. So I'm going to make sure I do it. It makes sense when you're saying it like this, Latrice. And, and yeah, obviously it's logical. You're, you're a young adult at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many things, Yeah. you know, you're okay. You're now here. You're, You've gone through it all. It makes sense to you. You've seen so much. Mm-hmm. You're wiser, right? Uh, but then, then and there, when you're going through it, okay, yeah, you've got your mom. I, I, it sounds like you've got this really strong force. You've got your grandma, right? Like strong forces mm-hmm. of support. And at certain times, did you ever feel, for example, some people will start becoming, you know, feeling sorry for themselves mm-hmm. and get into this like a, a pity sort of state did you ever yeah. experience anything like that that oh look at my look at my background look at my circumstances 
I've never had that issue. I know some people have, but I've always mm -hmm. used my circumstances as the driving force to get to the next level. And literally like now where I'm at that place where I was trying to get to after all these years, I would say kind of, I look back and I'm like, damn, I did go through a lot. I did do a lot, but I'm here. And I kind of think yeah. of it as the steps that got me to where I wanted to go. And so I've never had pity for myself or my circumstances, which in other words, like makes it hard because when other people tell me like what they've been through, I'm like, okay, and <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> how does it define you? I've never, and I, I think that's crazy saying that now I'm looking back and I'm like, have I ever, it's more like when people tell me what they can't do, I'm like, yeah, you can. Well, how do you know? Cause I have, you know, and that's always been my mindset. I'm a social worker by training and oftentimes in these schools, not so much social work schools, but in the practice of, of that modality, there's this kind of perception of victim, savior, and perpetrator. Mm -hmm. I see I, and that speaking to that victim kind of persona, that identity that people take on and all of us can take on when looking at our experience because we all have experienced victimization in, in different realms. Mm -hmm. But what I love about what you're saying is when you look at that triangle, it's like, okay, yeah, I was a vic I was victimized here, but now I'm going to save your mode and I'm going to straight up save myself and I'm going to motivate and activate and move forward from this in a different way. You had a destination. You had a vision of where you wanted to go. Mm -hmm. You had no freaking clue how you're going to get there. No clue. Right. And what I love about this is that you're in the States and we're in Canada, but I think the culture is very similar in this respect, that we live in a way where we need to plan and stri uh, strategically say, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, and we're going to meet these people, and we're going to go here, and then we're going to do this, and be very strategic about how we're going to get to point A to point B to, to the end goal of, of becoming a lawyer, but we don't need to know all of that. We just need to know as far as the flashlight will show us. That's it. And we just need to know that we're still on the path, and then we have this little, little bit of light. Yeah. And then you just adjust and you like figure it as you go. And I think there's a lot of value in those little steps because we're not inviting anxiety when we're putting too much focus on how are we going to get yeah. there. And to Muhammad, like what you said about victim. Okay. I don't think about the stuff of my childhood. I think my recent, my more recent situation where I was actual victim of assault, where I was in a relationship. And my ex had tried to kill me and I had to go through that, you know, having a gun raised to your head, thinking you're going to lose your life, the SWAT team coming in, going to court, all of that stuff. Even through that, it was like, okay, put on your face. You know, I, at this point, I'm an attorney. I'm established. People know who I am. I'm going to court. Yeah. And it was like, I had to, in my mind and the way that I was raised, it was like, you don't dwell on stuff. You don't think about stuff. You just do what you have to do. Like, that's it, you know? So I'm going through this time, which is the most weirdest, craziest time of my life. And I know that I'm like having this depression. I know that I'm, I'm scared to go to court. You know what I'm saying? I moved. I moved my house. I moved my job. I'm nervous because I don't want everybody to know what's going on in my personal life. And I don't want to, I'm in court for me, you know, and friends are like, what are you here for? What are you doing? And it's just like, oh yeah. Was it like in a trial? I had to go to a hearing for a TPO hearing. To, so that he couldn't contact me. 
And even yeah. then it was like, okay, get your plan together. You still have all these things you need to do. You have these kids you need to take care of. You have bills, get it together. So I went to counseling, you know, I did my sessions or whatever. I talked to my friends for a while and I just rebooted. I changed my life. I got a new house. I got a new job and I moved forward. Like, okay, that's in the past moving on. When I look back to it, people, I was like, oh my God, you've been through so much tragic stuff. How did you, you know, get past it? And it's just like, you can't let stuff get you down. You know, you can't get to this point where, like you were saying, you become this victim and you know what the hardest part is? I was like so pissed because I didn't want to look like a victim. Everybody will think I'm weak. Oh my gosh. Like that's the thing. Vulnerability and strength. It's on the same continuum. Mm-hmm. That was my worst moment. It's like, I don't want people to yeah. think that I'm weak. I don't want people yeah. to think that I'm not strong. I don't want people to think that I can't do what I'm supposed to do. That was the part that got me the most, like not even yeah. being a victim, but looking like the perception you know that was one of the hardest moments I would say ever career-wise I mentally was not okay but I physically had to keep moving forward and I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about what was going on because they'd be like you're supposed to know all this. You're supposed to be the person not in this situation, exactly. right? Like yeah. you're representing, yeah. how are you in, you know? And I think there's moments like that in our life where you become these things that people don't expect you to be. It messes with you, but you can't talk to people about, you know, my friends, I can kind of talk about it, but they're kind of like, well, how did you get there? What did you, you know? And it's just like, You don't know, and I just want to tell people, you don't ever know how certain steps will lead you to a specific situation. Nobody can ever tell you, oh, I'll never do that. I'll never deal with that. I'll never have that happen. Anything can happen. You know, you can be- Yeah, you can become a victim of domestic violence. You can become a victim of assault. And be a super educated, well-informed person about domestic violence. Right. You don't have to be. Yeah. Everything happens yeah. in your life. You can't plan everything. But the only thing you can do is take what happened and move on from it in a way that helps you move forward. Because what I've noticed for myself is I learned some of the worst relationships may they be like friendships or or partnered relationships I've learned the most about myself Mm. because it's like okay well why am I willing to tolerate that what is what is it that is hurting in me that I will bend my boundaries so much Mm -hmm. that it gets because you as you start to reflect on it you're like oh okay I see that now I didn't see that then Mm. let's 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 put some love into that and let's correct that a little bit for ourselves Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Counseling. That's where you have to like chew on these things once in a while, I feel. Right. I was going to ask you earlier, like if you if you had ever had feelings of fatigue or fear and you just talked about it right now, Mm -hmm. that there are moments that either mentally you're tiring, you're running on fumes, you're running on empty Mm -hmm. and you still got a ways to go or it's still going to require more than what you feel like you had in the gas tank at that time. You see, this, this, this is exactly the part where I feel people do get stuck, mm-hmm. right? That's the breakdown moment. And a lot of times when people hear your story, I think the part that they don't understand, it's that 
there's an assumption in in their minds that you never had a breakdown, that mm-hmm. you never had a moment that you were afraid, that you never had yeah. fatigue, that, that you never had depression. Here's Latrice. She had her head on straight, whereas maybe from where you're standing a couple of times, forget about head being on at all, let alone being straight. When you're in that moment, would you ever say that? You know, it was like you always had an answer or was there a moment that you were completely stuck? You didn't know what to do. I don't even think it's about having an answer. I think that mentally, like something in my head was just like, keep moving. I remember one time I was pregnant and I was working so hard. I was trying to keep the household together, take care of two kids. And I was pregnant with another child. And I go to the doctor and they're like, we don't feel a heartbeat. And I was like, okay, you know, and they're like, when's the last time you felt the heartbeat? And I'm like, I don't remember, you know? And it was like, I was working myself to death to where I had lost my child, didn't even know. I had to go get a DNC and I'm in the hospital. And while I'm there, I have clients calling. Well, when are you going to get back? When are we going to work on my case? When are we going to do this? When are we gonna... And it's like something clicked in my head. And I was like, okay, you just lost a child from working yourself to death. You can't even get out of the hospital without clients calling and harassing. And it made me do a 360 on how I presented myself with my business. I got rid of a lot of things and I restructured and I said, look, if I'm going to be my own, because at this time I work for myself, I'm like, if I'm going to be the owner of my law firm, if I'm going to be the owner of my life, I have to get to a point to where I'm comfortable. I can take care of my kids and do what I have to do. And I have to put my health in this point. Right. So most women, and I'm not trying to be funny, but most women, if they lose a child, it's a tragic thing. Their whole lives, you know, are affected To me, it was just like, okay, another bump. How am I going to get over it? What am I going to do? How do I fix it? Keep it moving. You know, it was just like, and I think those things, I'm not saying that what I did was okay, because I'm pretty sure that trauma and things, you know, kind of built up through or whatever. But it wasn't just a bump. You said you had to create, you had to change your whole life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to make sure that it it did impact you. Mm -hmm. It just looked different for you. Yeah. It was like, right? how do I switch things up to where it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm hurting myself and I, you know, potentially cause stress for this pregnancy mm-hmm. as a result. Of that, right? But you would so, never know. Like I would, I wasn't crying. I wasn't emotionally like putting that out there in my mind. It's like, okay, damn, that's messed up. So what do I need to do to fix my life to make sure this doesn't happen again? You know? And what was the answer to it? You said you had to. To that you had to question. get rid of a bunch of things. You said you had to get rid of a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. What were the things that you had to get rid of? Clients, the work that I was doing, the way that I was handling my business, you know, I had to step back. Um, the person I was with at the time, you know, it's like if I'm sitting here killing myself to take care of this family and I'm doing it by myself, that's not going to work. Let me step back. Let me downsize. Let me reorganize what I'm doing life-wise and realize that I have these two kids that I have to take care of and there's nobody else that's going to do that, right? If I die or something happens to me, who's going to take care of my kids? You know, so it's like, okay, 
restructure to the point where you can take care of your kids, you're physically present for your kids, you're not working so hard that you're killing yourself, maybe dial back on the houses and the cars and all of these things that people think life is supposed to look like, where you're trying to create this perfect picture of what life is and it's killing you. Yeah. So that's interesting because that means that had to exist at that point in time, the things that you're talking about that you had to dial back. Mm -hmm. So that means if you go further back at a previous point in time, you thought that was the thing to do, which was to add those things on. Mm -hmm. See, like you start somewhere here mm -hmm. where I'm going to be this lawyer and, and you go, you have thoughts. Somewhere along the line, you started adding things on. Mm -hmm. And then you got yourself to a point where you started saying, I got to take those things out. If it's okay, I'd like to ask. And, it, you know, if you don't mind sharing, then go back to the part where, you, you know, you started thinking it was okay to add those, those things on that you later decided yeah. it was time to take off. What were you, what were you since, since you're like, obviously saying you're obviously a very real person you're very practical. What made you think that those were the things to add on when you added on? What, what was it that drove you to think that they were the right things to add on to take on more clients? It was like more of the society pressure, the community pressure, where it's like, if you're going to be a lawyer, this is what it looks like. You have an office, you have staff, you have a big house, you have, you know, two cars, you have your kids, you know, thriving. It's like this lifestyle that's portrayed of what a lawyer is supposed to have. And I just realized that that wasn't it, you know, at that point. And I kind of dialed back, you know, got rid of the bigger house, got a smaller townhome, got rid of some cars, just had one car, had my kids. And then it was like, okay, like I am the queen of reinvention. I've had my own for, well, my own since like about 2010. But I would get to the point where I was like, I don't think I can do this. I'm going to go work somewhere. And then I get a job and I'd work and I'd be like, these people are stupid. I'm going to quit. So then I'd go somewhere else and I'd get a job and I'd be like, oh, this isn't going to work, you know? And so I did this for years. It was like, I'd work somewhere. It wouldn't work. I'd try on my own a little bit. It wouldn't work. I'd go work somewhere else. And finally, around the pandemic time, I was at this firm and... I had been in practice by then about 10, 12 years. So I had a lot of experience. And well, let's go back. So after when I had had the victimization situation, I was working at a firm with my mentor and we were doing good. But mentally, I couldn't keep going. So I said, I need to switch things up. So I said, I'm going to go work for a firm. He's like, you can stay here. So, so, so Sorry, just pause. When you say things were going good, but what I wasn't doing good mentally. How do you, how do you say that all in one sentence? Because Business. I was working, I had the perfect firm, the perfect lifestyle, but mentally after what happened, I could not function. And at this firm, it was like more of being my own boss. So I brought in clients, I did the work and like my mind just wouldn't let me keep going in that realm. And I was like, I need to take a step back and go work at a firm and have that structure because I'm not in a mental place where I can be a creative or stuff like that. So I'm like, it's like, let's go back. What are the signs to you that, that this was the case? What, what kind of signs did you use to, that, that told you that I'm not in the right place? I had a lot of anxiety. 
I can't even describe it. It was like, I just couldn't mentally get into what I was doing. And it was because I had to do what I was doing. I wanted to go like in a place where they just told me what to do and I could do it. I didn't want to have to think about it. You know, I didn't want to have to be the visionary. I didn't want to have to, like, I just wanted to go somewhere where they'd be like, here's your cases, here's your this. And then you're guaranteed a salary. You don't have to think about how many, much money am I bringing mm-hmm. in? What's my overhead? All that kind of. I needed that more structural, not yeah. the entrepreneurial. And so I went and I worked and it was just like, as I was working, I was getting back to myself, right? Where it's like, oh, I know how to do this. Oh, we're not doing this right. Oh, we need to do this. Oh, this needs to. And it was like this pushback. Your entrepreneurial spirit start coming back and it was like wait a minute i'm smarter than you guys i've done this you haven't even tried a trucking case and i'm telling you what to do and you're my boss telling me what to do and you haven't even done what i did that's not gonna work you know i started looking for jobs and i had five offers at five other places i chose one he seemed to be really cool i called another friend do you know him have you worked with him blah 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 yeah, he's a cool guy. He has a lot of stuff going on. It was higher in, you know, personal injury stuff because I was doing personal injury at the time. We, you know, we meet, we do this, do that. Boom, you're offered a job. You can come. Okay. So I tell my old job, you know, I'm leaving, given two two weeks notice. Oh, where are you going? Oh, this, this is due to the pandemic. This is all happening. This is pre-pandemic. This is like December 2019. No, this was like February because I had got really sick. So this is Feb- like a month before the pandemic starts, February. So I go, you know, my old boss, oh, where are you going? Oh, another firm. So my old boss knew the guy that I was going to work for, called him and was like, oh, she's working there? Like he thought I was making stuff up or something, you know, and he's like, yeah, I don't know how that conversation ensued. So I go to the new job. I pack up my stuff, you know, put everything down. I'm excited. Like I got this new job. I get there and he's like, okay, well, I want you to start working on this. So I'm like, cool. So I start working. So I'm asking questions. How does your structure go? What kind of stuff do you do? You know, how do you do your clients? Well, you should be able to know this. You know, I'm not asking stuff that anyone wouldn't ask if they go work at a job. So finally, I'm there for like five days. I come in on Monday. On Friday, he comes in and he goes, you know, I don't think this is a good fit for you. I don't think you have the skills that I was looking for. So I'm going to have to let you go. Five days. Like, never worked on a case. Never, you know, and I was just like, okay, guys, this is a joke. You know what I'm saying? And so, mind you, I had left my job. I had turned down other job offers came here to be fired in five days. And I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing. So I'm jobless. I have a brand new house. I have two children. And then comes COVID. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And I was just like, this is fun. You know, like, what do you do next? And in this time, come on, Latrice. Mm -hmm. There's not a moment. There's not a moment of like, oh, man, like, like uh, the feeling of just it's over. It's it's overwhelming. There's no, you didn't have this feeling at all in this moment. You know, Mohammed, at, at this point, I'm thinking that life's a joke and it's just funny. You know, I'm just like, no, I was mad. I was pissed because I was like, okay. 
No, this um, happened, yeah. and like I wanted to create a voodoo doll of this guy, and like just poke it. Like I'm pissed because I feel like you just yeah. ruined everything that I could have had going on. But this only lasts for a moment because at the end of the day, I am spiritual. I do believe in God. I do believe that things happen for a reason. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this happened because it was supposed to happen. Because if I didn't leave, right, I would have still been there. If I didn't get fired, I wouldn't have gotten fired up to start my own business again. And I wouldn't be having a million dollar company right now with employees working and doing what I was supposed to do. So all of those steps took me to the place to where it was like, God said, look, I know the plans that I have for you. It's not to work for somebody else. It's not to be somebody's, you know, associate. You have the power to create your own, run your own, and do what you need to do. And you need to quit relying on other people to run your path. And that's what I felt like I was doing. I was second guessing myself and my ability to do what I needed to do. And by doing that, I was placing myself in these situations where I knew it was uncomfortable, but I was too scared to go out there and do what I knew I needed to do, which was have my own company and run it and be that entrepreneur that I was supposed to be. You see, that's that's just it right there. You know, as as brave as you are, and and as as strong as Latrice is, uh, and like you said, you know, sometimes you got to put on that face of strength. Nobody knows underneath mm. just how unsettling things can feel. They gotta they gotta be given this impression that Latrice is in control of what's going on right now, but underneath it's like, uh oh, uh oh, because a lot of people when they look at you, it sounds like, oh, it was this. Okay, then I just stopped for a moment. I took a pause. I took a deep breath and then everything was fine. And then I just took the next step. And that's not what happened. No. Right. There was moments that you want to create a voodoo doll. There's a moment you know, that, that you are pissed. The hard part is for a lot of people is that they stay in that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the, that's the thing. They stay in that and then it feeds itself and it spirals downwards. You know, mm-hmm. you somehow throughout the course of all of your experiences, continuously every time you run into that fatigue tiredness fear abuse assault every time you feel and you run into these you know different sort of junctures you do go through that you it's not like you don't it's not like you have some magical shield around you you feel it the same as anybody else i feel it i just move past it (laughs) so that's the point is that i'm trying to understand is that why is it that you think some people get stuck there. What What is it called, uh, Trina, coping? You know, it's like how people will cope at those moments. They'll get into some way of trying to forget or to try and escape, you know, from that feeling. And whether they'll medicate or whether they'll, you know, use some way of just, you know, getting themselves out of reality, right? You didn't do any of that stuff. Whereas other people fall to that. And when they fall, they fall hard because that kind of stuff just keeps going right Mm -hmm. do you never not think of doing those kind of things as well escaping i mean of course i think we all have those thoughts at some times you know there's always times where i'm like what if i just killed myself and everything was over you know what if i just ended everything right now and didn't have to deal with it i mean i've had all kinds of thoughts 
I've never had addiction thoughts, so I've never really been into drugs or drinking. That's never kind of been my thing. I sit back and I get really quiet. And sometimes I get to the point, if I get really, 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 really overwhelmed, I just stop everything. And it's just like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait and something's going to happen. I don't Uh, know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. But it's like, if you get too noisy and you close the door and you wait and you just sit back. I would say that my faith has a lot to do with it. You know, I don't want to go to hell, so I can't kill myself. You know, I don't want to go to jail, so I can't kill somebody else. I got two kids to feed. So it's kind of like when you can't figure out anything and everything is stressed out and everything is crazy and going and going, just stop and wait and see what happens. I love that. Yeah, think, stop trying to control everything. I think, I think that that's amazing, not just advice, but it sounds like that must have been what you did because it you 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 can't you don't know what to do next mm-hmm. um and the bills keep coming right? <laughs> like i call i call them like waves of the ocean like you can fall off the surfboard and the wave doesn't know you fell off the the, the surfboard right the wave just yeah. knows that it's gotta be a wave and it just keeps coming and then there's another wave after that mm-hmm. and 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 that's the reality and that's where people just sort of they they, they get underwater and they don't know how to get back up. Do you think that's as a result of maybe all your all your reading that you did? I mean, you did a lot, a lot of reading, right? I mean, that's a that's a pretty big advantage to have all that that knowledge, whether it's from this book or that book. Mm-hmm. You feel like any of that played into it for you? I do to a point. Like I read a lot, and when you read stories, you see people go through <laughs> progressions in life, and they end up with an ending. You know, maybe it's a happy ending, maybe it's a sad ending, maybe it's you know, a to be continued. This summer, still off topic, I did swimming lessons because I never learned how to swim. So I was scared of the water, right? And I finally got in. I'm like, I'm going to swim. I'm going to learn how to go in the deep end. And it's like funny because I told my swim instructor, I said, all I need to learn to do is float. Because if I can float, then I can stay alive. And so think about that. Think about life. Wow. Say that again. All I need to do is learn to float because if I can float, I can stay alive. So I would use that more as the analogy with, say, you're out in the middle of the ocean. Somebody drops you in the water. You can sit there and you can use all this energy flapping your arms and getting scared and trying to move. Or you can just get on your back and float. You can float and either somebody will come get you. A shark will eat you or you'll make it to the ground, you know? And I think that's the biggest analogy that people need to realize is like, stop and float until something happens because something's going to happen. Just give yourself that breather to move forward. Latrice has now figured it out. She never has any more overwhelming moments and (laughs) no more of this, no more need for all that right <laughs> yeah until like what two weeks ago when i catch viral meningitis and i'm in the hospital for 10 days and i'm like i don't have any choice but to sit there like i couldn't work i couldn't do but the cool thing is is that i've set up my business to a point to where it works whether i'm working or not so while i'm in the hospital my paralegals handling calls they're closing clients they're paying the bills they're getting everything done to where I've gotten to this point in life where if something happens like that, my life doesn't stop. 
you know, it keeps going. And everyone's like, how are you doing this? How are you doing? I got a good team, you know, let's scale it. Mm -hmm. I have amazing, you know, receptionists. I have a great assistant. And even now, I mean, I look good, but I'm not 100%. Like I have migraines. I still have to take medicine three times a day. I still have to see a neurologist. It's a progression of things that happen. And it's like, I'm so happy that I don't look like what I've been through. That's what I say all the time, right? So I go through stuff every day, all the time, and it's not going to stop. So it comes to this point where it's like, just float. (laughs) Maybe maybe you do look like what you've been through and you've been able to actually show kind of how good it can look mm-hmm. you know I think, I think i think sometimes when um i know when we go through something you know when we look at it as if it's not good as if it's meant to destroy us then then that that's the that's the lens we put on it mm-hmm. but when we look at what we go through and we see that it's actually been all of these things have all been part of like you said showing you hey this is who you are this is who you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. You turn out looking like you do, which is the the like again that lens of it, which is to show that there's there's really a beautiful experience that that we've gone through, and what what could have what you could call like a version of hell mm-hmm. has actually been like you know the universe's way or God or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you know, a way of being able to say, no, Latrice, there's more for you that I had. That, that I had planned for you or that, that you're capable of now go get it, you know, yeah. and go be, be who you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Do you feel now after having gone through it in these iterations, you, you feel like you're in a state of balance. You ever start feeling the imbalance coming anymore? No. And I say now because I'm married and I have a husband. And I think that a lot of the things that were my previous issues were, it was just me, you know, I had to survive. I had to take care of everything. I had to get in where I fit in, you know? And now by having a husband, it's like, you have that other person who, if I fall, I know somebody's going to pick me up. You know, if I can't hustle, 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 I know my bills are going to be paid. If I can't, you know, go as hard as I usually do, it's okay because I have someone here, a partner, you know, who can push me up when I'm not up myself. And I think people Mm -hmm. don't take that into account. And it doesn't have to be a husband. If you are a woman and you have a wife or two males or whatever, but just having a partner, you know, it could be a best friend. It could be a family member. But one of the hardest things for me being, you know, was a one woman show. And I finally realized that I could have somebody else who can help me and take a lot of that stress off. And because of that, I don't worry about falling like I used to. I love that. So you're even detaching from yourself a little bit now. You're letting go mm-hmm. of the things that you control um, and, and letting that into, into the hands of, like you said, someone or something outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's called trust. Yeah, we're not meant to do it alone, I guess. And a lot of my things came from me doing it alone and being 
the person, you know, even with family, it yeah. was still like, okay, you guys can't help me. I got to do this myself. And I think that's where the detachment came from and the kind of, yeah. I was a survivor. It was just like, look, it's me against yeah. the world. Come on me. What are we doing? Oh, we fell down. Yeah. Get back up and keep going. Nobody's going to be here to pick us up. You know, nobody's going to be here to help us. So if we don't do it, it's not going to be done. That's an amazing journey, Latrice, to go from a point and I don't think there's necessarily one point that's better than another point. Mm -hmm. They're all relevant, but to see you talk about it, how when you feel like you're all alone and how to trust yourself and how to believe in yourself at that time mm -hmm. versus, you know, another way of doing it where you're not alone. You build that sort of trust in yourself to let go um, and that things will still be okay. Yeah. What's next for Latrice? You know, I've built this amazing work-life balance to where I'm building my business, but I'm building it to a point to where my business works around my life, not my life working around my business. So I still get to travel. I still get to go to all my daughter's cheer meets and games, and I still can be there to do things. Like, it's funny. I feel like I'm half housewife, half CEO half the time. I just want to grow mentally, work, read my books. I still love to read books. I read like two books, a book a week. I love to do that. And just living life. Like I feel like these last 40 years have been so crazy. And I tell my husband, you got 40 more years. By 80, I want to be out of here. Like I don't want to live to like 100 or nothing like that. So taking these next 40 years and just living and loving life and being comfortable, that's what's next. If you ask me, Muhammad, exactly, I don't do five and 10 year plans because you know my life is crazy. I could be the CEO of Coke in five years. We never know. I don't take plans. The plan <laughs> that I have for my life is to be happy and healthy and comfortable and keep living. If you had to trade any part of it, you know, the last 40 years, mm -hmm. is there, is there one part that you would trade? Honestly, I don't think so. Because I think everything that I've been through created the person that I am today. And I can't literally say if I took out certain parts, if I'd be where I am now. So because I am in this happy, wonderful place, I'll take everything that it took to get me here because I can't necessarily say if I would have switched everything, if I'd be here now. That's just it. When people are kind of going through what they're going through in their journeys, some people really, really struggle with that, Latrice. Right. And that's why that's why we're here. And that's what I love about your story is that, you know, if you're able to look at that person and you're able to, you know, to, to, to talk to that person who's in like extreme discomfort, extreme pain, feeling extremely overwhelmed, mm -hmm. who's going through... Maybe what you went through, maybe more or less, but you know, the feeling for them is just very, very real. Right. And they're this close, they're tired. They don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. What do you say to them? Be still, just be still, quit everything. You know, even when it was times where I was looking for a job, looking for this, looking for, I would just have to stop and yeah. reset. Because the more you get your mind trying to fix things, the more you can mess them up. And it's like so many people have this grand plan of what your life is supposed to be. And you're fighting so hard to hit that plan. And you're wondering why it's not working. Maybe that's not the plan for you. And maybe if you sit down and just be quiet, what you're supposed to do will come to you. Be present, yeah. If you clear your mind, 
the things that need to come in will come in when they do, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's so much clutter. It's so much stuff everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Just stop, you know, just stop for a moment, whether it be 10 minutes, whether it be a day, whether it be a weekend, just stop however long it takes for you to be able to figure out what your next steps are is however long it takes, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trina, did I, I got you speechless over there. <laughs> I agree with everything you're saying, everything. You're, you're, you're speaking to the choir over <laughs> here. Like, I'm, yeah. I didn't think this is what this was gonna be like. <laughs> I honestly, I, when I'm hearing you speak, we have actually very similar lived experiences. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Muhammad probably know, knows that already, <laughs> but like, like you, I was this alpha personality, still am very cerebral driven, the very focused lists, you name it, like just knock things out. And sometimes the body literally just says no, and you have to drop to the ground and you have to pay attention and look inward because you can't control and it comes back to like early in the conversation when we were I, I was listening to you and I had the visualization of like that flashlight we just need to know this much you know fear is such a great robber of our presence and our capacity to actually reflect and invite what aligns and so once we understand what fear's purpose is is to often derail us not necessarily motivate us you know, meditation is, is really a great path to clearing your to coming into that place, yeah. right? Yeah. So those are my things. Yeah. Meditation, floating, and living life. <laughs> What's yeah. the difference between meditation and floating? <laughs> if you're floating, you're just being. You I actually physically float. I, I belong to a gym, yeah. and I go into a lane, and I will float there. I don't need any buoys yeah. or anything, and I will just float there. And it actually makes people really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a metaphor in a way because people are like, are you okay? Okay, you're just floating around. I'm like, yeah, man, this is the best part, mm -hmm. just floating. Right. And and so this is the thing too, is when you take pause in chaos, mm -hmm. people are like, why are, you, why are you sitting there calmly and not freaking out right now? My husband took me on a date of this float chamber and literally Stop. Like, yeah. you go in there yes. and you just float. Yeah, fill it magnesium. Yeah, you, you can't you can see yeah. anything. You can't feel anything. You literally just float. Now, at the time, I was like, "This is the weirdest shit ever." But <laughs> afterwards, it made sense. Like I wouldn't go back because yeah. I was just like, "I don't know what to do," you know. But when I took my swimming lessons, I was the same. I I was like, "Teach me how yeah. to float." Once you teach me yeah. how to float, I'll never drown. And what was what was the third thing again? Live life, be happy live life, you know, and to live life, I had to learn you can't plan every single thing. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to go with the flow. And if it flows, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But when people start to plan and they're like, and this time I'm going to have kids, I'm going to be married, I'm going to have a house, I'm going to do this. And it doesn't happen. That's when they become alcoholics or drunks because they didn't go by this plan that they created for themselves. And they're so depressed that things didn't go how they thought they were, that they didn't live the life that they had at the time. And you wasted all this time trying to go for this plan. But what about all that life you could have lived in between? In that moment, I appreciate we having the, the moment. The things you yeah. could have seen, the people you could have helped, the different ways like you could have impacted the world 
you wasted all that time working towards this plan that didn't even happen or wasn't going to happen because that was never the plan you were supposed to do in the first place. It's a beautiful journey. Thank you so much for just like sharing it with us as well. And I know in, in listening, you you tell it your way in, in from your perspective and what it felt like going through what you went through mm -hmm. and, and then how you, you know, managed your way through it and how you found ways to meditate and float. And those are like lessons that I, I know are going to stay with me for a while and I think are, are really going to be appreciated by everybody that's listening. So thank you so much for joining us in the conversation. I hope I yeah. help somebody out, somebody out there that think, let me go float. <laughs> I'm going to go float. If there's one thing I'm taking away from this, it's, you know, float. Yeah.